Ever hear the one about the frog? Put a frog in a pot of boiling water and it'll jump right out. Here's my resume. But put a frog in a pot of cool water and slowly heat it up and that frog will boil. It's a lie. But as a metaphor for us and all that we go through as veterans, any real world experience. it's a story that rings true. We make excuses for how we feel. We push everything down. We tell ourselves the lie that it's easier to stay in that boiling water, to disconnect. And some days, maybe, it is. But you've never been interested in easy. Reaching out is hard. Do it anyway. You're not alone. You've got this. You are not a frog. Find resources at va.gov reach. Oh, let's get it. Monday, June 6th, 2022. Born the battle... Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs, the podcast that focuses on inspiring veteran stories and puts a highly unimportant resources, offices, and benefits for our veterans. I'm your host, Marine Corps veteran Tanner Iskra. However you listen to Born the Battle, be it Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iTunes, iHeartRadio, I guess no longer Facebook. Sorry about that. The player inside the blog on blogs.va.gov. Hope you're having a good week outside of podcast land. I just got back from the time of this recording. I just got back from World War II days at the Mid-Atlantic Air Museum in Reading, Pennsylvania. As of this recording, I haven't gone yet, but I have gone before. It's a weekend filled with a World War II air show, 40s music, tank and flamethrower demonstrations. There are reenactors that demonstrate attacks on each other through a French town and South Pacific scenes. The most important part of the event, however, is listening to the World War II guests of honor as they shared their stories. You know, it's 2022, and these men and women aren't going to be with us much longer. So if you get a chance in your area, I mean, I'm traveling four hours to go to Reading, uh, and I'm again, I just got back, life of recording in the past. But if you get a chance in your area to listen to that generation's stories, I would highly encourage you to do so. They're not going to be around much longer. Next week, I'm going to be on a boat in the Bahamas, which means we will have a couple of rewinds, a couple of good rewinds for you in the coming weeks. And we will pick up with fresh episodes on the 20th when I return. No new ratings or reviews. Please consider writing a review for Born the Battle on Apple Podcasts. Doing so does help us climb higher in the algorithms, higher in the charts due to Apple's algorithm, giving more veterans a better opportunity to discover Born the Battle and listen to all the information inside. It's also the best way for me to communicate with you. You leave a review, I respond. It's a good two-way thing we got going on. One major news release this week says for immediate release as part of the Department of Veterans Affairs National Homelessness Prevention Efforts, VA published an interim final rule which allows VA to enhance the provision of legal services for veterans experiencing or at risk for homelessness. VA will, through the Legal Services for Homeless Veterans and Veterans at Risk for Homelessness grant program, offer up to 75 grants each year to eligible veterans with at least 10% of funding being utilized for women veterans. These grants will also satisfy Section 5105 of the Act, which require VA to partner with outside organizations to provide legal services to women veterans. 
the LSV homelessness program builds on existing legal services offered to veterans through partnerships between VA and legal service providers in communities across the United States. Services provided by the new grants will support veterans' legal needs related to housing, family law issues, income support, criminal defense, and requests to upgrade the characterization of discharge. A notice of funding opportunity with instructions on how to apply for a grant is expected to be published in September of 2022 once the final rule for the grant is complete. For more information on the Legal Services for Veterans program, go to www.va.gov forward slash homeless forward slash LSV. For more information on the interim rule, go to federalregister.gov and type in Legal Services for Homeless Veterans and Veterans at Risk for Homelessness grant program in the search bar. Again, you probably don't need to put the whole thing in, but that's the title of the rule that was published. And so if you put the whole thing in, it'll be there. All right. This week, we have a benefits breakdown episode. The Million Veteran Program is a national research program to learn how genes, lifestyle, and military exposures affect health and illness. Dr. Sumitra Muraladar is the MVP program director. She holds a PhD in microbiology from the University of Maryland and a master's of science in genetics from Bangalore University in India. She has held numerous roles before this to include liaison to the White House for the Precision Medicine Initiative, a senior scientific program manager for the VA's genomic medicine program, health and science policy advisor to the Senate Veterans Affairs Committee, and was an assistant professor in microbiology and immunology at Georgetown University. And she joins us today to break down the VA's Million Veteran Program and why it's important to you. Enjoy. Dr. Sumetra? Su- it's Sumitra. Sumitra. Okay. As someone with a unique name as well, uh, I want to make sure that I'm pronouncing it correctly. Uh, Sumitra. And, and the last name? Is Muralidar. 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 Yeah. Muralidar. You can okay. call me Suma. If it makes Suma. it easier, Dr. Suma is, is fine. Or just Suma is fine too. Very good. I'll go with Dr. Sumer. Yeah, you got to earn yeah. that title, right? So, <laughs> especially in genetics, that's it's amazing. Um, looking at your bio, you have a very interesting background. Uh, first, let me know if I get any of this wrong. First generation American uh, citizen. Yes. Okay. Uh, I saw you started your academic career in Bangalore, India. That's right. Um, you went from chemistry to botany to zoology, which sound like great majors in themselves. What made you want to get into genetics? You know, I was really interested in diseases that are inherited, you know, and it always fascinated me. I was really a geeky scientist always, and I wanted to know um, how does it work, the mechanism of how we inherit diseases or uh, how can we be healthy? Uh, so it's both not just illness, but also health, right? How What causes this? And so I really wanted to get into genetics and understand that. And Back in the day, it was really like fruit fly genetics. We were using little fruit flies, you know, um, in jars and understanding how characteristics are passed on from one generation to another. Interesting. And uh, and then, of course, the whole booming of molecular biology and sequencing the human DNA. And, you know, so that we're, we're kind of a long way from there. But that's how I started. About when did that start? In the scientific That's, community. Um, so in the two in 2003 is when the entire human DNA was sequenced for the first time. And then there was this explosion of technologies, how you can look at the DNA, 
you know, um, and it got better and better, more efficient. I think the first time they sequenced it, it, it cost a lot of money, like $300 million or so to get the first DNA sequence. Wow. And we're now down to $1,000 or so per uh, DNA sequence. And the technologies have uh, matured a lot. The cost is coming down every day. So, uh, yeah, so that started around 2003. And that's when we thought about this program. Got you. Incredible. From $300 million to $1,000. Um Doc, you were you were a professor at Georgetown, uh, worked as a scientific advisor to the Senate uh, Veterans Affairs Committee. Uh, for the audience, can you give us a little bit about your journey to VA from Bangalore, India? How did that, what was that journey like? So I wanted to really pursue a PhD in you know, higher studies in, in genetics and molecular biology. And that's why I came to the U.S. and then got my degree. Um, and that's when I got really fascinated with uh, the biochemistry and looking at these molecules of life, if you will, rather than at the broader um, work that I was doing back in India. And a lot of my work at Georgetown actually focused on viruses. Um, you know, I worked with herpes viruses and, and a little bit of work with HIV that was at that time an issue mm. and understanding how they invade the body and, you know, um, how they impact the immune system and how they cause the effects that they do. And from there, um, I really started to see how can I take what I'm learning in this, you know, in a cell line, in a cell in the laboratory to really make a difference to people and their lives and well-being. Um, and that's when I was just looking at what else can I do with the skill sets I have. And there was an ad in the science journal for a scientific program manager at the VA. At that time, I did not even know that VA has this amazing research program. Yeah. So I just happened to apply and got the job and, and came to the VA. And it's been 22 years now. And it's been an amazing journey. <laughs> what, what are some of the things that you've, you've been involved in in research R&D uh, within VA before the Million Veteran Program? So when I first came to the VA, I had a very broad portfolio. Given my background in you know, virology and such, I was overseeing the infectious diseases portfolio and the immunology scientific portfolio of research at the VA. And then it broadened to um, clinical trials, epidemiology. Uh, so it was a whole range of um, um, programs that I was able to manage at that time. And it sort of took me like, you know, focus out, get a broad focus. When you're a researcher working in a laboratory, you're so focused on the tiny little problem or the question you're addressing. Yeah. Here, I was looking at this entire broad portfolio of infectious diseases uh, as they impact veterans. And, um, you know, and also just learning more about veterans, finding out about their altruism and their interest in participating in research. It just took me from that little lab and petri dish, if you will, to really focusing on improving health and well-being of people, veterans to begin with. Gotcha. Gotcha. Very good. Sorry. I don't mean to like, uh, interview, but I kind of want to get, I mean, I am interviewing, but I don't want to like, I'm not like interviewing for a job. No. I'm just, I, I know I want to get to know you because uh, you're now the program director of the million veteran program. And, and let me know if I'm wrong. Cause this is kind of, you know, not in my center of gravity, not in my world, but, um, from what I understand, it's, it's a, it's a genetic program that deals in collecting veterans, data, genetic data, 
right? Yes, it's it's primary that it's much more. It's it's also it's genetic data, but it's also we collect information on their lifestyle mm. and where they've been deployed in their military experience. Because if you think about it, you know, our health is impacted not just by our genetics. Genetics is a part of it, but it's also, you know, whether we exercise, smoke, drink, you know, our lifestyle, a lot of nutrition, factors. yeah, diet, what we eat, all of that, and what we've been exposed to in the environment. So we're collecting all of this information uh, in the Million Veteran Program. And the goal is really to be see how to determine how each of these contributes to our risk to diseases. Do environmental factors like, say, I grew up in the Pacific Northwest or I grew up in the, the hot arid desert of Arizona or I've been deployed to someplace, does that environmental factor get attached to genetic data and get passed down? So if it modifies the DNA in some way, if it changes it, it can be inherited. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Super sci-fi channel stuff that, that blows my mind. Um, you know, from a guy that I, I grew up playing Metal Gear Solid. Uh, for, first of all, have you had, are you, have you heard of Metal Gear Solid? Yeah. Have you heard of Metal Gear Solid, the game? No, I have not. No. Oh, uh, <laughs> well, man, uh, as a, as a genetic scientist, you got it. You got to understand okay. if there's any video game that, you know, you probably should know that one. It, 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 it talks about making genome soldiers and it gets kind of gets into to deep hmm. in that. But, um, you know, Playing, growing up playing Metal Gear, uh, then being a Marine, and, and then being from Washington, Washington State in the Seattle area, I'm pretty leery as it is giving up my genetic makeup to a corporation like 23andMe or Ancestry.com. Um, you know, you basically get, you know, giving it up. Yeah, you get to know where you come from, but you you give your entire genetic makeup to for them to sell to whomever. Um, it's, it's a pretty amazing business plan. If I, if I don't say so myself, why should I trust this program with, you know, for the government with the key to my entire genetic line? That's a great question. So, you know, we understand that, you know, people have this concern, even before we launched the program, we did focus groups and surveys of veterans to, to understand, you know, first of all, if we build this, will they come? And then what are your concerns and what are your expectations if you were to build a program like this? Yeah. And of course, I don't, I don't want a clone of myself in some foreign war. Right. And that's not <laughs> what we're trying to do here at all. I know, I know. But hey, for someone that plays a Metal Gear, that's kind of where it went. So when you hear genetics or genome, that's kind of what that's the, for me. That was the first thing that pops in my brain because I was a kid playing Metal Gear. You should yeah. probably look up that game. I, I will. I certainly will after this. <laughs> no, but so we uh, so we understood that privacy and you know confidentiality of their genetic information is of utmost concern, and and that is our concern too. We want to protect that. Yeah. So we have taken a number of measures to make sure that we can protect this information as best as we can. So yeah. you know, and I just want to just go through a few of them. You know, first off, even at the point of collection, when we collect that blood tube from the veteran when they enroll in the program, we do not put any direct identifiers like name or date of birth or social security number. You know, if you go to your doctor for your regular routine healthcare and, you know, give a blood tube for a test, uh, they will have your name or date of birth on it. You know, yeah. we don't, we have a code. So essentially it's a barcode on the tube. We can connect that back to you as an individual veteran, but that's not the information that's provided to anybody. 
So it's a coded tube. Everything, the blood is processed. We get the DNA, uh, even the survey information, right? That we collect surveys, there's the same barcode. So there is a barcode that is uh, attached to you, but nobody really sees who you are yeah. when all of the information comes in. And then it's you're, you're talking about people that access the data, like researchers and scientists. Not yet. Also. This is just just collecting the information and people enroll. Gotcha. Then what we do is all of this data, we have core staff who can link this up and we know who is who. But that's just a few approved author, you know, authorized staff that have access to that. And then when we provide this data for researchers, when they access this data, we do two things. First of all, we don't send out data to people. We have all the data in a central, secure computing environment, you know, scientific computing environment. We bring researchers to the data. So they have to have an approved project. They have to be authenticated to say who they are, all of that. Uh, and they then get access to this data. They come into the scientific computing environment remotely from wherever they are. They can do all the analysis. We provide all the tools that they can do their analysis and they take the results out. So they don't so the data never leaves the system. And gotcha. even when they are doing this research, we code it. Again, we remove direct identifiers, name, the date of the date of birth, the street, you know, street address, social security number. All that is stripped off. So it's coded data, if you will. Um, gotcha. Yeah. So this isn't, this isn't cloud-based data to where they can access it. They have to actually go to, to a physical site. Right, right now that's how it is. But even if it were to go into a future in, in a cloud environment, it's the same type of protection that you can never take the actual individual data out. Yeah. You do all your work there, your analysis, and you take the results out. Gotcha. Very good. Very good. Um, give me some background on the program. It's it's already 10 years old, right? Yes. Last year was our 10th anniversary. And um you know, when we started, we had no idea how fast this would grow or how quickly we would build it. And uh, we are, I think today we will actually hit our 870,000 veteran enrolling in this program. Um, okay. So you're not, you're not quite to a million yet. You're not close. yet. Very close. You know, we would have gotten to a million uh, if it weren't for the pandemic. Honestly, we had to shut down enrollment completely uh, uh. in 2020. And so, um, yeah, we're very close. And about halfway around to 2015, about half, five years into the program, uh, we, we had sufficient amount of data. We thought we could now start cleaning, curating the data and opening it up for research. So we then opened up uh, the data for research uh, starting in 2015, 2016, around that time. And we have over 35 uh, projects that are ongoing, um, but they have yielded over 75 scientific publications a lot of you know initial discoveries are coming out of the program already like what so what in so we have studies going on in a number of um chronic illnesses and, and illnesses that veterans particularly encounter like ptsd uh you know a lot of mental health issues depression schizophrenia bipolar so we are now identifying new genetic markers that may, that are associated with these illnesses um, okay. We had a paper that came out last year on anxiety, one of the largest studies to look at the genetics of anxiety. And um, the important thing is the large numbers of people we have. Uh, yeah. We're making, and you know, because 
to make these genetic findings, to make these discoveries, you need very large numbers of people who have a particular condition and an equal or even larger number of people who don't have it. So you can compare it and you know, find what's different. Bigger sample size, more accurate. Bigger sample size. Ab- yeah. Absolutely. And yeah. so PTSD, you know, the VA is ideally suited to do this. Who else would do this? Who else yeah. would try to understand, um, you know, what the genetic basis of this? So we've been able to do that. So overall, kind of distill it down for me. What's what's the what do you see as the overall purpose of this program? What what can researchers? What do you hope that they do with by having this data on hand? So the first step is making these discoveries. You know, identifying what genetic markers um, may be associated with an with a particular condition. Right, that's a starting point, really. And then sometimes if that genetic marker is in within within a gene, you know, within inside the coding region of, region of a gene. Um, you can actually screen uh, databases uh, that are FDA approved to see if there are any drugs or medications out there that have already been applied, approved by the FDA that can be repurposed to treat this condition. So drug discovery or repurposing is one application. Um, and sometimes you have to go back and look at the mechanism. How is this? How is this change in this gene? How is it causing this condition? And that you know takes a lot of basic biomedical research. Yeah. And if you know that, then you can find new treatments that might help resolve that. Or you could identify this genetic marker could become a biomarker so you can detect someone who has a risk for an illness early on and maybe prevent it. So there are all these types of applications. And then there is um, the medication, it's called pharmacogenomics. Like, you know, we know that when we give uh, medication to a bunch of people, not everybody will respond the same way. Some people will respond beautifully, they'll have the effect. Some people won't. And then some people will even have like adverse reactions, right? Bad side effects of medications. And yeah, all that, yeah. We're, see- we're seeing that now, even with the, with the vaccines that came out, you know? Yes, the- yes myocarditis and, and that sort of thing. And, um, we're seeing, uh, you know, like I said, like you said, any, any medication and right. any ther- or any preventative med- measures or therapeutics, there's always going to be people, be people that have some kind of adverse reactions. Absolutely. And if we know that in ahead of time, then we can prescribe the right medication. Yeah. You know, right. Instead of having people go suffer through those side effects, we can tailor the treatment to the person based on their genetics. So that's another application. So my hope is that um, with all of this research, we will be able to get to that point, what we call precision medicine or, or personalized medicine. You know, yeah. so we are able to treat every veteran based on their genetics, based on their military exposures um, and their lifestyle. We can tailor or prevent um, illnesses. That's our ultimate goal. I, I guess if I was to relate it into, you know, combat terms. So it's like, instead of carpet bombing a situation, you're, you're looking for, try to try to figure out how you can incorporate a, a laser guided missile uh-huh. through, a, through a window. Interesting. Um, Doc, what, what types of diseases or conditions do you see maybe being eliminated by finding the right data sequence in a, in a genetic code? What are, what are some of the ones that you hope to get to start doing this type of precision medicine with? So, you know, there's been a lot of advance in this area in cancer, in all types, different types of cancer. 
you know, so here is where we can, there's already precision medicine being done to some extent. But a lot of other chronic illnesses, whether it's diabetes or heart disease, uh, heart disease is, is one of the biggest killers uh, in general. And so if we can find genetic information that will allow us to make new, either discover new medications or um, or suggest some preventive measures early, early on in young adults so they can prevent getting these conditions. So diabetes, heart disease, um, chronic kidney disease, this is all what we see among our veterans. Um, and within the Million Veteran Program, almost 70% of our participants have high blood pressure. So that's like the topmost represented yeah. condition. So we can control. And then a lot of new things we can contribute to is in the field of mental health where there has not been much progress in this area. You know, we're, yeah. we're lagging behind a lot of medications as a trial and error. You know, you try a medication for depression, it doesn't work. You try something else. So we hope to be able to find genetic markers that will really enable us to um, treat these illnesses better and where possible, maybe even find markers that can help prevent them in the that's first an, place. That's yeah highly attractive um i'm assuming for this to work effectively as it should for everyone for it to be effective for everyone you you would need veterans from all walks of life like you would need complete i guess diversity of data absolutely that's critically important you know like you know if you look at what's happened in a lot of the historically in genetic studies um, people who participate are white males. And so the results of those may not apply across the board to yeah. women or to blacks, Hispanics, Native Americans. Across North, the Af- board. North African, you know, yes. Berber yes. people, yeah. uh, Arabic, you know, I know they, uh, there's a lot of intolerance for certain things that I, I, I'm like milk, dairy, you know, that sort of thing. So, um, yes. a- absolutely. So, uh, how are you, what efforts do you have to try to incorporate more uh, of that type of data into your work? And is it working? So initially, because we wanted to reach, you know, a million, that was sort of at least our um, the milestone we wanted to get to, um, we opened it up to any any veteran, any volunteer, right? Any veteran who wants to volunteer. And that's actually gotten us to about 870,000, as I said. And we have... Uh, a pretty good um, diversity in terms of like blacks, for example, we have 18% blacks, which is a lot more than any other program of this kind in the world. Um, you know, so that's, that's there. But if you look at Asians or Native Americans, it's still a small percent. It's just a little around 1% of what we have represented. Uh, women are um, about 9%. And that's because you know, in the veteran population, that's what it is. And so, yeah. so yeah. it's accurate representation. It's, based yeah. On we've the, got very good representation the of the veteran. Uh, ba- yeah. Who ba- get based there. on the percentage. Gotcha. Yes. Um, so but, it's a native, a native American. I mean, like not, there's an incredible percentage of native American males in general that have, you know, do- donated their t- parts of their life to service. Um, yeah, definitely need more outreach there, I'm, I'm assuming. Yes. So we are now, you know, once we, we know now we're going to get to the million anyways, it's, it's going to happen. But we're now focusing uh, on um, enhancing recruitment of certain subpopulations that are underrepresented. 
And we started with the women's campaign last year, actually. And so uh, that's been pretty successful. What we've learned is if you do a focused campaign and and tailor the information to that specific population and and help them um, explain to them why their participation in a program like this is really important. Because if, if you participate in large numbers, the discoveries that are made will apply to you. Otherwise, we will miss out on that that aspect. And that's the key point. Super important. Yes. Um, man, I- identifying healthcare issues and eliminating them before they even become a problem. It, it sounds like future sci-fi stuff. Uh, but hey, 40 years ago, none of us would have even envisioned something like the power of the smartphone. You know, so uh, definitely uh, look forward to to seeing where this goes. But it's also what I think is a great segue because uh, we have some of these same issues with other data in the world, and I'm including our phones. I'm, I'm talking about like hacking into the data. Uh, it sounds like you have some safeguards. You're you're offsite. You're offline, which is great. Um, you talk about maybe making this a cloud based system. How would VA keep this genetic data safe, safe from, from any hacks into the system? Yes. So, um, you know, the VA has a very, um, quite a rigid process in terms of IT security and anything outside the VA, even within the VA, any system that hosts any personal health information, let, let alone genetics, even just our health data, have to go through this rigorous uh, process called authority to operate. It's called an ATO for short. Okay. And yep. they actually do a um, a very uh, rigid um, inspection of every little detail and how you're setting up the system. They they even conduct you know mimic hacks etc. Really try to break it to yeah they have to they have hackers right yes to yeah. kind of I mean like so they check to make sure that this is really um, as safe as it can be, you know, and I think the VA IT security systems are one of the, at least my experience, having worked outside in the academic yeah. uh, area before and then coming here, um, I worked at the NIH as well. And so I've really seen that this is pretty strict. And yeah. um, and this the, the information is evolving as well around the world and even within this country. There, Everybody's concerned about this. And they're looking at how can we make this information safer, um, you know. So we, again, so that's one of the ways. Like we're in the VA, we also have, um, you know, data in the Department of Energy that was done through a, um, a interagency agreement, and that was to be able to utilize some of the supercomputing capabilities they have, uh, because to uh, analyze this massive amounts of data, you really need that. Uh, supercomputing capability. Is that the supercomputer that's out there in Tennessee? Yes, this is at the Oak Ridge National Laboratory. Um, the one that we're currently working on is called Summit. Yes. It's uh, it's now the world's second uh, largest supercomputer. I think some other somebody else beat us to it, but uh, oh. they're coming up with a new one that will be number one soon. So, <laughs> so yes. it's the second fastest in the world. Ooh, yeah. you know. <laughs> yes, that's um, but you know, again, there they are. You know, Department of Energy. Uh, you know, for security reasons, they are you know already very, very advanced in terms of yeah. security because of the types of information they already need to protect, store, and protect. Yeah. And so we, on top of their own uh, security measures, the VA layer, we layered our 
security measures that are needed when we put our data there. I, I, yeah, call me old school. I like the fact that it's offline right now. I mean, I think that's that's a, a yeah in the in the in the world of you know and because with you know cloud based, I mean, you're going to have to trust like an Amazon Web Services or something because I don't think the government has anything. I don't know. I digress. Um, I like the fact that's offsite. Uh, okay. So say that you convinced me, um, due to any, I think I've addressed some, a lot of the major concerns many veterans may have had. And if I haven't, uh, please feel free to, to, to shoot me an email at, at podcast.va.gov if you're listening to this and I'd actually give it to the good doctor here. Um, how can a veteran sign up and get, and get involved in the program? So there are a number of ways. The easiest way is to go to our online portal mvp.va.gov. That has all the information about the program and you can actually complete your consent process and HIP authorization online. Okay. Uh, you can complete surveys online. And then of course, for a blood draw, you will have to go into the VA um, to, okay. to give a blood specimen. Like your local VA? Local, Any local VA. VA? Yes. Gotcha. You go to a local VA where we have MVP uh, staff. Right now it's not across all the VA hospitals. Um, and we're also looking at uh, some alternative ways of collecting blood samples from veterans who sign up. Um, we're looking at these uh, kits that we can uh, mail to your home. And then okay. this is something that this is a, a technology that came out during this pandemic, right? Like when people needed to do things at home. Uh, so there are lots of kits out there now that you can uh, uh, mail and get veterans to donate blood. At you're home. talking about pulling, pull, drawing your own blood? Not drawing, this is a prick. It's not really a oh. drawing of blood. Yet. Oh, it's just like you need a little, I was like, hey, just, yeah. just mail my handgun in a bullet, in a bucket. You'd be, <laughs> you, 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 no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No. So it's just a prick. It's just a prick. Yeah, okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Very good. Just. <laughs> yeah. So that's the easiest way to do it. We also yeah. have uh, an information center and that number's there also on our website. They can call if they need to talk to someone, they can call our information center. And, uh, uh, you know, get better understanding of whatever they need to get clarified. So Very good. Yeah. Very good. And and we'll put that link in the blog, in this episode's blog and blogs.va.gov. So they can click on that and find it as well. Also at, we have staff that do enroll face-to-face yeah. uh, at about 60 VA medical centers. So if veterans are, get, get care at one of those centers, they can just walk in. And gotcha. our staff will enroll them. Gotcha. Very good. And I'm sure there's maybe probably even contact information on that MVP yes. website. Yes. Yes. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Very good. I'm probably sure. Uh, uh, it's got like a, a frequent asked question sheet on there too, a fact mm-hmm. sheet. Gotcha. Yes. Very good. Very good. Um, well, Doc, it, it, you know, uh, I think I've asked all my questions. Is there anything that I've may have missed or haven't asked or, or do you have like maybe a parting shot to any of that buddy that might be listening to this uh, that you'd like to share? You know, again, I just say that veterans from all backgrounds, races and ethnicities, I would really encourage everyone to to take a look at this. And it's voluntary, of course, but then, you know, sign up so that we can really make a difference here. This is a legacy program. You know, um, it can change the way healthcare is delivered for all other veterans and all people, actually, because it's not just what we find in veterans. It will apply to all people. So it's a major, major contribution that we'll be making. So I would just uh, say that and thank all the veterans who have participated. You know, I've been blown away by their altruism and their willingness to come come forward and look at this as another form of service 
to their country and, um, and, and help other veterans and other people. So I just want to say thank you to all our veterans. And thank you, know, you th- to you as well. Oh, no, no worries. Yeah. I, I think uh, as I, as I learn more about this, I think, you know, it's, it's, it's better. It's a better reason than, than finding out where I come from. Uh, you know, having a chance to maybe potentially stop a genetic disease or something like that, or having precision medicine for a genetic line, uh, I think is a definitely a better reason to risk giving out my genetic code than, than trying to figure out where, you know, what percentage of Scottish I am. Um, but no, thank you, doc, for your time. I appreciate you. And, and we, we are out. Well, thank you, Tanner. Appreciate the opportunity. The VA does a very good job on the medical side. I don't know of anybody that has any complaints. My primary care doctor is probably the best doctor I've ever had in my life. He was my friend, good patient of mine. He only comes once a week, but I enjoy enjoy him. She comes in special. Yes, I do. Early in the morning. For me. That's exactly why I choose VA. Choose VA today. Visit VA.gov. I want to thank the good doctor for coming on. For more information on the Million Veteran Program, you can go to your local MVP office at your local VA medical center, or you can go online to research.va.gov forward slash MVP. This week's Born in the Battle Veteran of the Week is by way of VA's Veteran of the Day program. Every day, and I mean every day, our social media team honors a veteran on all of our social media platforms and with a blog on blogs.va.gov. You can nominate the veteran in your life by emailing in a bio and about five pictures to newmedia at va.gov. Ismael Mendina was born in December 1963 and was raised in Ponce, Puerto Rico. His father was a major influence on Medina's desire to become a soldier, both being a retired sergeant major and a Vietnam veteran. A friend convinced him to join the Army in 1983, and he completed basic training at Fort Benning, Georgia. In 1984, he went to Berlin, Germany, where the Berlin Wall still stood in the midst of the Cold War. There, the nations of Russia, France, Britain, and the U.S. rotated guard duty of Hitler's right-hand man, Rudolf Hess. During one of the months the U.S. guarded him in Spandau Prison, Medina was one of the guards on post and saw him in person. The following year, he returned to Fort Benning, Georgia, to join mechanized infantry. He met his wife when he returned to Puerto Rico in 1985, and they married in 86. Medina was set to discharge from the army in August, but chose to continue to serve so he could purchase his own home in Puerto Rico. He then went to Fort Chaffee, Arkansas for four years and did in-flight rigging for an airborne refueling company. During an airborne jump early in the morning of August 5th, 1988, his right leg became tangled in the parachute of another jumper. When he landed, he broke his tibia and fibula. After recovery, he became a drill sergeant at Fort Jackson, South Carolina from 92 to 95. In 1996, he went to Italy, where he monitored African conflicts. When a civil war grew close to the U.S. Embassy in Sierra Leone, President Clinton ordered an evacuation mission that Medina would take part in. His helicopter landed in the embassy in complete darkness as Navy SEALs secured the vicinity. While civilian rebels drove through the streets with AK-47s, he followed orders and did not lock and load. He also remained in Africa for a few weeks. Medina later went to the DMZ border of North and South Korea. He eventually returned to Fort Jackson with his family, and after 24 years of service, he retired on October 1st, 2007. Medina has since earned two bachelor's degrees, Spanish 
and Experimental Psychology, and a associate's degree in art from South Carolina University. Army veteran Ismael Medina. Thank you for your service. That's it for this week's episode. If you yourself would like to nominate a future Born in the Battle Veteran of the Week so we can all learn their story, you can. Just send an email to podcast at va.gov, include a short write-up, and let us know why you'd like to see him or her as the Born in the Battle Veteran of the Week. And if you like this podcast episode, hit the subscribe button. We're on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, pretty much any podcasting app known to phone, computer, tablet, or man. For more stories on veterans and veteran benefits, check out our website, blogs.va.gov, and follow the VA on social media. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, RallyPoint, LinkedIn, DEPT Vet Affairs, U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs. No matter the social media, you can always find us with that blue check mark. And as always, I'm reminded by people smarter than me to remind you that the Department of Veterans Affairs does not endorse or officially sanction any entities that may be discussed in this podcast nor any media products or services they may provide. I say that because the song you hear me now is called Machine Gunner, which is courtesy of the nonprofit Operation Song and was written by Marine veteran Mark McKilhenny, Nashville songwriter Jason Siever, and Michael Duncan. Have a great day. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you right here next week. Take care. We gotta get them one way or the other. Machine gunner. Firefight bullets fly to my brain. Simplify till we're done another campaign. My desk is a rock where the drug lords cut up millions. My pen is a 7.62 round that'll cut them down in an instant. Made bullet in my back Raining down lead Punching that clock Get em boys, I'm laying down Cover machine gunner bullets fly day and night rain Simplify, do or die Another campaign Here we go, lock and load Oh, 331, lug a thousand rounds And I ain't bringing back one I do go, you know, what we've started doing the last few years is going to these veteran service organization conventions, annual conventions over the summer. So one summer I was invited to go talk to uh, the Blind Veterans of America. And, um, you know, so I had all these presentation prepared, you know, PowerPoint and everything. And, uh, and I asked them, do you sure you want a presentation? And yes, so we went there and I, and I go there and show off on my talk, and then, you know, I'm talking to blind veterans, and what would we do with a presentation, a PowerPoint? Oh, yeah. no kidding. And they had no equipment there. There's nothing there to actually project slides or do anything. And I was sort of thinking about this before, but that was, like, totally caught me by surprise. And then I said, you know what? Forget that. I'm just going to tell the story of the Million Veteran Program. And I just started, you know, from my heart talking about the program and what it means. And it was, I don't know, it was like, it even gives me goosebumps now as I talk about it, because it was just, people came to me after the talk and they said, there was one veteran, I remember he came and said, your voice was so soothing. I could listen to you all the time. You know, I was like, oh my goodness. You were smooth, sounds like. <laughs> But the point is they had questions about it. Like, you know, they really uh, sat back and listened to what I was saying. It it, it was just so, I'll never forget that moment, standing there 
in that hall, you know, with, with, with about a couple of hundred blind veterans and talking to them about this program. Um, it inspired me just being in their presence and then knowing that they were actually listening and they had questions about it. It was just amazing.